Coming up on Linux for Everyone, the season of Ubuntu 19.10 is upon us, and I'm going to discuss a whole bunch of stuff regarding the upgrade cycle from Mate to Ubuntu itself and also the new Pop! OS offline upgrade feature. Also, Liam from GamingOnLinux.com makes his monthly appearance to share one of his favorite games. And is KDE actually as light on system resources now? As XFCE? We'll find out. Episode 14 starts right now. Hallo zusammen. Ich bin Andreas und ich höre Linux for Everyone in Deutschland. Willkommen daheim. Welcome home. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Linux for Everyone, the podcast about desktop Linux, open source software, and the community creating and enjoying it. And I have really been enjoying it this week. Oh, man, I've got so much to talk about. So why don't we just dig right in to the discovery of the week? So as part of my Linux gaming report series, I've been looking at Ubuntu Mate 1910 this week. And this isn't the episode with the, you know, the exhaustive rundown of the gaming experience on Ubuntu Mate, but I've had some really cool discoveries that I've come across. So ever since I first jumped into Pop! OS and got my uh, System76 Oryx Pro laptop, I have been preaching the gospel on all platforms uh, about the hybrid graphics switcher that is in Pop! OS. And what this is, is if you're running a laptop with an NVIDIA dedicated graphics card, as well as an Intel CPU, this lets you choose, hey, I want to use my Intel integrated graphics to save on power or I want to switch over to my dedicated NVIDIA graphics card. And in Pop! OS, you have to reboot after making that choice. And that, at least in my own experience, has been one of the more elegant solutions for hybrid graphics support in Linux. But now, Ubuntu Mate 19.10 comes along, and it's loaded up with the, uh, the newer NVIDIA 435 driver. And so I'm taking this for a spin, and I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not just load this up on my test bench. I'm going to load it up on my Oryx Pro. So I carved a bit of hard drive space out, slapped Ubuntu Mate 1910 on there, got to the desktop after the first boot, and saw what is called the Mate Optimus utility. And it lives in the panel, and it lets you select between your Intel graphics or your dedicated NVIDIA graphics. And it actually has three options in there because with the newest NVIDIA 435 driver, there is some support, some initial support for on-demand. And, and so this is NVIDIA Prime, basically. Now, this lets you leave the dedicated GPU in sort of a lower power state and have it ready to run applications that you tell it to run. Otherwise, it's going to use your integrated Intel graphics. 
or you can switch it over to using NVIDIA dedicated all the time or Intel graphics all the time. And here is what I found absolutely amazing. You don't have to reboot your system. All you have to do is log out, log back in. Now, there are other ways of implementing this type of hybrid graphics switching, but it's really not remotely as simple as this is. It's just this nice utility that lives on your desktop, and it, it's just a click, and you're done. There's something else I really love about this utility, though, and it's a minor thing. In the panel, you will see an icon for the GPU that is currently selected. So, you know, at a glance, you can just see what is powering your system at the moment. So it's really nice to have that always visible, because sometimes I forget which GPU is currently driving my display. Now, according to Ubuntu Mate developer Martin Wimpress, switching your GPU by just logging out results in only the selected GPU being powered up. And there's apparently no power-saving advantage with rebooting your system. And the greatest thing of all, perhaps, is that the Mate Optimus utility is compatible with Mate, GNOME, XFCE, Budgie, and KDE, and I'm going to have a link on the show notes for this episode leading you to the install page for Mate Optimus. This is really, really cool. And you know, while I was digging around in Mate 1910, I also noticed that there's now a graphical layout switcher right in the welcome screen, which is a feature that I cannot get enough of. I first noticed this on Deepin. You know, it's basically a window that lets you choose your kind of your desktop paradigm. Do you want the traditional Mate desktop? Do you want Redmond style or Cupertino style, of course, referring to Windows and Mac OS? Or do you want to get really, really dangerous and use Mutiny? And that is, of course, the Unity desktop. That made me laugh. And again, it's just one of those little but important things that distros do to more easily onboard new users and and just make your overall experience a little bit better. So kudos to Martin and the entire team over at Ubuntu Mate for doing that. But the praise for 19.10 does not stop with Ubuntu Mate. I've also been playing around with, of course, Pop! OS 19.10 and also Ubuntu proper. So Canonical, alongside the GNOME team, they accomplished something really awesome between 18.10 and 19.04. I did a battery of benchmarks over at Forbes when the 19.04 release came out, and I observed that not only was performance slightly better, but power efficiency was also a lot better. We're talking anywhere between 20 and 25% reduction in power usage. And for 1910, I think the big headline here is the responsiveness of GNOME 3.34. You guys, it is, it is remarkable. I'm not exaggerating here. If you want to prove this to yourself, throw Ubuntu 1910 on a live USB and run it for an hour or so. Not even an hour, just run it for a little while. I would wager that depending on the specs of your system, depending on how much RAM you have. After a few minutes, you might be tricked into thinking that you've installed it right onto the metal. It is just ridiculously snappy from animations to just window responsiveness to apps launching. 
give it a try. If you can do any, you know, A to B comparisons, I would really, really recommend it. It's it's a fun experiment. But then, of course, when you actually do install 1910, it's mind-blowing. It is such a noticeable difference in perceived speed, overall responsiveness. So yeah, major, major props to both Canonical and the GNOME team for this release of GNOME and uh, this release of Ubuntu as well. And all of the GNOME-based Ubuntu derivatives and everything you can get GNOME on. I haven't tried Fedora yet. Uh, I haven't tried Arch yet, but I'm sure that the results are equally pleasing. So let's move over to Pop! OS 19.10. System76 has done something really cool here in that not only are you going to get a desktop notification when you can upgrade from 1904 to 1910, but if you haven't upgraded yet, you'll also find that inside the About window. So if you hit your super key and type About and then go to the System Information result, open that About window, and you'll see that an upgrade is there for you. Here's the awesome part. It will download 1910 and then perform an offline upgrade. So it downloads all the files, prompts you to reboot, and then you just get this nice, simple splash screen with the pop logo and a little bit of an installation dialog. You reboot again, and you're done. Very, very cool to have the not only a GUI updater, but a really elegant, simple offline upgrade process as well. I did have a couple minor issues with uh, the upgrade itself. So if you're a fan of Dash to Dock or you're a fan of GNOME Tweaks, I found, and a couple other people on Twitter as well, found that they simply don't work after the 1910 upgrade. But if you do just remove those extensions and then reinstall them, you should be good to go. Aside from that, I haven't noticed any any game-breaking bugs across any of the 1910 distros that I've tried. And the just for the speed bump, just for that increase in responsiveness, it's it feels like I have a brand new system now. It's and I think that's um I think the whole 1910 upgrade cycle has sort of energized me a bit. Cause now I'm just diving in, I'm like testing all this stuff discovering all these cool little features and additions that, that maybe aren't getting a lot, of, uh, a lot of headlines or exposure. So anyway, in a nutshell, 1910 is pretty great. But there's even more to talk about right after we hear from Liam at GamingOnLinux.com. Well, hello there, Linux for everyone. Liam here from Gaming on Linux, interrupting your usual programming to talk about another fun Linux game release. In this episode, I want to mention a game called Rise to Ruins. Now, at first, you might think the title is a bit odd. How does one rise to a ruin? Well, the name actually fits pretty perfectly here. You see, Rise to Ruins is a mix of village building with a sprinkle of tower defense and a healthy dose of seriously fantastic pixel art. It ends up creating a building experience truly like no other. During the daytime, it's quite a peaceful game. You pop down some buildings, send your people off to cut down some trees and smash some rocks, possibly adopt a stray dog or two. And when night 
night comes, it turns into a whole different experience. The problem is, the world in Rise to Ruins is being consumed by corruption, causing monsters to appear and cause havoc. At night, these monsters come on over and they're like, hey, sweet village you got there, shame if we had to ruin it. And that's where the tower defense part comes in. So you need to make sure that you've actually built some defense towers, a big maze of walls to keep them occupied while these towers unleash their arrows on them. If you're lucky, you might survive the night. It can be quite brutal. One minute your village has risen up from nothing and you sit there as a proud god and the next it's all burned to ruins because you're a terrible protector. But each time this happens, you learn something. You learn where the weakness was in your defenses. So you build it all up again you push the corruption back and then you can eventually move on and build another village elsewhere. What's pretty awesome about Rise to Ruins is that you gradually expand your reach across this world, sending people from one village to another and eventually you might destroy the corruption. Rise to Ruins is a village builder that you could put 200-300 hours into and still not be done with it. It's extremely replayable and just good fun to completely zone out with. If any of that sounds like it might be your thing, go look up Rise to Ruins. Here's a couple facts about Liam, (laughs) okay? That guy produces the tightest, most engaging 2-3 minute game reviews that I've ever heard or seen. If you love what he's doing, you appreciate his input on this show, go give him some love on Twitter at GamingOnLinux or, of course, at GamingOnLinux.com. And Liam, thank you for making my backlog even bigger. All right, gang, let's do some housekeeping. A little bit more this time than last week. This won't be quite as short. So bear with me, but it's all very awesome stuff. First of all, I want to give a huge and grateful shout out to someone you guys may know as Dementor. (laughs) Dementor is better known as the guy who advocates for uh, PowerShell on Linux. He was recently on Linux Unplugged talking about it. He has been all over Twitter and all over our Telegram community spreading the gospel of PowerShell, and he's done some really cool, cool, cool stuff. So just one little example. He wrote this really short script that takes the um, audience metrics from my Fireside account for the podcast, right? And he made an interactive map showing Linux for Everyone listeners all over the world, and it gets updated fairly often. And uh, so we're working on turning that into a website that'll be attached to the show's website. And speaking of the show's website, last night he got me an early birthday present, totally out of the blue, surprised the heck out of me. He bought linuxforeveryone.com. Now, it's not spelled out linuxforeveryone.com, but the awesome thing is that it matches all the social platforms. So Mastodon, Facebook, Twitter, Telegram. So if you go to Linux, the number four, everyone.com, Obviously, a much shorter way to get to all the episodes and all the show notes. And right now, it will redirect to the existing site at uh, at Fireside. So, dude, thank you so, so, so much. You guys can find him on Twitter at posh for linux and, of course, in our Telegram community as well. Item number two, we're having a Destination Linux Network game night. The date is set for November 9th. Uh, So stay tuned here or on the DLN forum for more info. And this time we're going to do it on a weekend and and kind of hand off the event between hosts. So once I get too exhausted 
or tired of losing at Rocket League to Michael, uh, then I will hand it over to the Destination Linux guys. And that will allow everyone, I hope, to get a chance to participate regardless of time zone. And last but absolutely not least, I want to give a very warm thank you to my 60-plus patrons out there who support this show with their wallets. Uh, For $4 a month, you can get this podcast a day early, and you can also get it in 320k audio as opposed to the normal feed, which has 128k. And for as little as a dollar a month, which is like a quarter per episode, you can be listed on the Linux for Everyone site as an associate producer and get some Discord flair to go along with that. And that's going to do it for housekeeping. Thanks for your patience. What if I told you that XFCE might not be the lightest desktop environment on your system anymore? Would you call me crazy? Well, I heard a couple people telling me this on Twitter, uh, specifically saying that the latest version of KDE Plasma, which is 5.17, is actually using less system memory than XFCE. So I obviously had to put that to the test. Here are the ingredients of, of what this little experiment looked like. So I grabbed Kubuntu 19.10, which of course is Ubuntu with the KDE Plasma desktop environment version 5.16. I also grabbed Zubuntu 19.10, which is Ubuntu with the XFCE desktop environment. And then I grabbed KDE Neon, which is kind of the, the flagship distro, if you will, for the KDE Plasma desktop. And that has a slightly newer version of KDE, which is 5.17. So I took these three distros and I installed them all in a virtual machine using GNOME boxes. And then I installed them all directly to an XPS 13 9370 with a uh, 1080p resolution, 16 gigs of RAM, and an Intel Core i7. What I did across both environments is fully updated the systems, rebooted, and then just let the OS sit idle for about three minutes. After three minutes, I fired up NeoFetch, took a screenshot, and wrote down how much system memory was being used at idle. Here are the results of the VM test. In third place was Kubuntu 1910 with an idle memory snapshot of about 640 megabytes of RAM. In second place is Zubuntu 1910 with XFCE at 525 megabytes of RAM during idle. And in first place, KDE Neon with the newest Plasma desktop at 503 megabytes at idle. But I wasn't entirely convinced with the virtual machine setup, only because there's different variables involved when you run something in a VM versus when you install it directly to your machine. And that comes down to various uh, startup apps and driver impact and things like that. So let's get to all the results for these three distros on the XPS 13. In third place, again, was Kubuntu 1910 
using 639 megabytes of memory in an idle state. In second place, KDE Neon, using 611 megabytes. And in first place was Zubuntu with XFCE, using 558 megabytes. But, I mean, okay, it was a very, very close race in in, uh, the virtual machine, and it's a very, very close race here. Now, across all this testing, everything's been updated. The system has been sitting idle for three minutes. And you've only got, I mean, are you kidding me? We only have about a 50 megabyte difference in system memory being used between Zubuntu and KDE. And, you know, but before I was a Linux user, I had all these preconceived notions about Linux that thankfully were all shattered. But I think as a Linux user, I have those preconceived notions about Linux, too. From my brief experience with KDE early on, I thought it was a bit slow, a bit just bloated and, um, you know, overwhelming in, in a sense. Whereas XFCE has always been maybe not the most gorgeous desktop environment, but always really responsive and really, really fast and very light on system resources. But it appears that uh, the team at KDE has been just slowly on this on this slow march towards efficiency and improving it and making it leaner. And I'm kind of wondering if early next year, I'm going to be sitting here running these same tests and seeing um, KDE Plasma 5.18 beating Zubuntu and being the lightest of all of the desktop environments. I didn't even think it would be this close of a race, winning barely on a VM and losing barely when installed to the metal. So what's it going to look like in four or five months when the next version of KDE comes out? I'm really excited. And by the way, I also tested uh, Ubuntu Mate 1910, and it was in the mix there. It wasn't winning or losing, really. It was just kind of right in the middle. Uh, But the takeaway, (laughs) who wins? We do. We we all totally win. Because these, you know, especially uh, GNOME and KDE have made some dramatic improvements lately. KDE especially. I mean, I had no idea I'd be looking at under one gigabyte of system memory at idle. I was floored when I saw this result, and then floored again when I saw it a second time on a different machine. Maybe it's time to, to give KDE a little more attention on this show and, and in my personal Linux use and at Forbes. And uh, yeah, so you know what? Instead of distro hopping, we're going to do some desktop hopping. I think I'm finally going to leave the safe, warm embrace of my gnome and move over to KDE for a while because clearly I think it's worth paying attention to. And of course, you know, I encourage you guys to run your own tests. Let me know what your results are. Take KDE Neon, take Zubuntu, Kubuntu, Ubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, take them all and throw them in a VM and let them, you know, update them, let them sit at idle for a few minutes and then look at your overall system memory that's being consumed. Let me know. I'm really curious to, to see what your results are. And if you would be so kind, watch for a uh, an article coming out at Forbes within the next, I don't know, 24 to 48 hours. I tag-teamed some of these tests with Zeb from Destination Linux and Zebedee Boss YouTube fame. And I'm going to talk about his results as well. 
All right, let's open up the Linux for Everyone inbox and see what we've got. I got an email from David last week after he listened to episode 12, which was the uh, the show about flagship Linux hardware, a somewhat divisive topic. But I, I was kind of beating that drum, you know, that, that Linux marketing sucks drum. It, it's not great. What can we do about it? He has an idea for a Linux keynote event, a worldwide event. Here's what he says. Orchestrate a multi-day window that this event could be live streaming on a common platform, and any hardware vendors that are catering to Linux can sign up for a specific time slot and show off any platforms they're releasing specifically with Linux in mind. While that may not occupy the entire event, the remaining time could be filled with interviews from open-source software developers or teams to explain their offerings. Maybe another idea would be holding development workshops that would provide hobbyists and tinkerers with some primers in various languages and frameworks to encourage viewers to tap into their own creative potential. Just my two cents for whatever it may be worth. Regards, David. David, that is one ambitious plan. Fortunately, I'm an optimist, and uh, I think it's actually achievable. I know that sounds crazy. I I wouldn't know where to start, but I think the Linux world needs an event like this. Sure, we have a bunch of incredible, amazing, community-driven conferences all over the world all year long, but we need to bring them all together into this one mega event that the entire community feels compelled to tune into or compelled to participate in, and where we shine the spotlight on everybody at the same time. I don't know, kind of like a an E3 or, or CES for Linux hardware and software. Do you guys think that would be a cool idea? I, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I, I'd like to know if this is something that could actually be developed. I don't think it's impossible. But let me know, bring me down to earth if you need to, or <laughs> give me some ideas to launch this thing off the ground if you, if you prefer that. Whew. All right, time to time to mellow out a bit. It's been an exciting show. It's been an exciting week. Linux is amazing. You guys are amazing. Thanks for listening. So before I take you out, as always, with a somewhat impromptu song from the source, I wanted to give you a heads up on what's coming down the road for, for this, uh, this show in the next few episodes. Later this week, I'll be interviewing the CTO over at Raptor Computer Systems, and he's going to give us some insight into what really is open source when it comes to hardware. And I'm also lining up an interview with the amazingly talented Nick from the Linux Experiment YouTube channel. And in mid-November, I am flying to Denver to System76 to participate in Superfan 3, and we'll be recording an episode right there at System76 HQ. So do not go anywhere. Now, when it comes to this week's Song from the Source, I honestly, I ran out of time to, to listen to submissions and to look for a great song. So I'm doing something a little different, a little, I guess uh, you might call it a, a personal creative risk. Um, but, but for the last, I don't know, month, six weeks, I have been really trying to get myself weaned off of Mac OS and Logic Pro for my music production. It's the only thing that keeps me from using Linux full time. I've always produced my music on Mac, 
And so, you know, there's a big learning curve there for me. My personal stance on this is that when I get that creative spark, I just want to power up something and start creating. But I've been dabbling with music production on Linux, and I wanted to play you a song that I recently wrote for my wife, Lana. And it's not finished, it's not mixed, but I think it has promise. It's basically just acoustic guitar and me singing. There's a couple verses so far, I need to finish it up. But I just thought it would be kind of cathartic, maybe, to to play something that's brand new that I wrote that I have started recording on Linux. This is a song tentatively titled Signals, and uh, you can find the musician right here. You know how to reach him. (laughs) You guys have a great week, and as always, take care and take care of each other. Money